of our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for using me as an anointed vessel to minister through to your children and to all those who will hear this word in the future. Thank you, Lord, that your word is blessed, your promises are true, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Repeat after me. I'm going to get closer to Jesus today. I'm going to be strengthened in my faith and in my knowledge of the word. Grace and peace will be multiplied in my life today. Amen. We have been discussing our faith. We are called to a life of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There's one of those sad verses where Jesus says, when I return, will I even find faith? We just want to declare to him, yes, Lord. You will find it in us with your help. Amen. Paul revealed to us or God revealed through Paul, as I mentioned last week in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that Paul's weakness caused God's strength to manifest perfectly. God said to him, he said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. How many of you know it requires humility? The one thing that God will not do for you. I've heard people pray, God make me humble. He will not. I've heard other people say, oh don't don't pray for, for patience. Because then you'll get a big trial. That's, uh, that's not how God works. Patience is an abiding fruit of the Spirit in you. you got to work it out. Humility is the one thing that God tells us to do. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Say, not a place in the Bible where anyone ever asked for God to humble them. It always tells us to humble ourselves. That's when he fights our battles. When we get to the end of ourselves, get to the end of our own strength, get to the end of our own high-mindedness, Every gift and talent and dollar that you ever had, he gave you. So, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. We let the Holy Ghost come in and fight our battles. And I mentioned last week that that's really hard sometimes when you're the one in the midst of the fire. We know this. That's why you have... 
That's why you have fellow believers. Because the enemy would like nothing more than to get you separated alone unto yourself. Because that's when he'll have a field day with you. You need other believers. You need to call upon them for prayer and agreement and to remind you of what God says when you've lost the peace of God and you can't hear God. I said, when you're not walking in the peace of God, which was a gift from Jesus that he said, I'll never take away. I'm not like the world, John 14, 27. But when you're not walking in peace, which this world can, can do, you need other believers to remind you what God has said, what he has promised, and to pray with you and for you. The same as you do for them in their time of need. hard to let go and let God sometimes that's where our faith comes in and we know that Jesus is faithful God of all comfort you know there's a covenant that we have with God you know what that is it's like a legal contract a binding legal agreement between God and his people. And there are promises attached to it. In the old covenant, for 1,500 years, it was the law. There was a, still a covenant between God and his people, the Israelites. The law was never for the Gentiles. But there were promises attached to it, but there were also some contingencies. Sort of do good, get good. You know. Do bad, quite the opposite. So there's a blank page here between Matthew and Malachi where the new covenant begins, the covenant that God has with us based on the works that Jesus completed on our behalf, on his merits, on what he earned, on what he deserves, on who he is, because you're in Christ. You're the body. He's the head. Same person. We have a good covenant, a better covenant than they did, with better promises. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, if you would. I'm going to spend a little time there today, because I just couldn't get off of it yesterday. Just to make a point that I hope sticks with you for the rest of your life. This is about David and Goliath. Any of you facing any giants in your life? Well, let's talk about that. First Samuel chapter 17, in the beginning. Now the Philistines, these were the enemies of God. As we're going through this, I want you to see 
I want you to see it in the natural. I want you to see David there. I want you to see Goliath. I want you to see the Philistine army. And I want you to see the Israelite army, of course. <clears throat> These were actual events with real people and real, real things. So I want you to see it for what it was. And I also want you to hear it through the new covenant lenses of grace and truth. This is all a picture and type and shadow of Jesus. Everything in the Bible is about Jesus. It's either about Jesus or it's about nothing. Grace plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus nothing is grace. And that's everything you need. But the grace of God, just like the blood in the basin for the Israelites, was available to them. It was powerful to save them, but until it was applied with the hyssop to the place where they lived, it was of no benefit to them. Our faith is the hand that reaches out and takes hold of the things provided by grace. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and I'm going to cut some stuff out here. I I'd edited that so that I wouldn't belabor the whole thing because it's long enough as it is. Verse 2, And Saul, that's the king of Israel at the time, who did good as long as he saw himself small in his own eyes. But then when he started reading his own press, he lost favor with God. There's another picture of humility and the lack thereof. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six Cubits and a span. That's going to come out to be nine foot, nine inches tall. We'll call him a ten footer. Not only that, not only was he huge, but he was covered in armor. He had a helmet, in the fifth verse, of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? He's mocking them. Choose a man for yourselves and let him come out, come down to me. Verse 9. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In verse 11, it says, When Saul, the king of Israel, heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Remember last week, fear and doubt are the devil's narcotics. These are something that Christian believers should never deal in. Twelfth verse, David was the son of Jesse, who had eight sons. Jesse was old a man at the time. <coughs> the oldest three sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. I'm summarizing a little bit. The 14th verse, Davis was, David was the youngest. The eldest, the three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. How many days was Jesus tempted in the wilderness after his baptism? <laughs> okay, see? Verse 17, and Jesse said to David, his son, and I summarize, take, 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 take all this food to your brothers out on the battlefield and go check on them and bring me back some news, okay? And then the 19th verse said, now Saul, the king, and, and, and they all, the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Although they weren't really fighting, they were just camped apart from each other, and they were scared of this giant. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. <laughs> Sound like Jesus. Who's the keeper that Jesus left the sheep with? Who was the innkeeper, I told you, that he left the, that the good Samaritan left the, the wounded? Amen. Thank you, Samuel. All right, and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he, and he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things he had brought, and he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And verse 23, as he talked with them, behold... The champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, Goliath, they fled. They ran from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. 
the uncircumcision just speaks of the one without a covenant with God. He's pointing out this big giant is not a person of God. He doesn't have a covenant with God like we do. And he's out here saying these things and defying the, the armies of the, the, the living God. And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. In verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. <laughs> and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He's telling this to the king. He's just a boy. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> yes. If you can do this job, you can do anything. Amen. And when, that, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of the, his mouth. And if, and if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. You see that? And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put, he put Saul, the king put his armor on David. Can you imagine how, and, and Saul was, remember Saul was the tallest, he was a, a big, handsome, strong guy, right? And David was still a, a boy, so it didn't fit him. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. Now there's a whole story in that, a whole message, but I just I want to go on. So David put them off. He took, he took it all off. He said, I can't, I can't wear this. Then he took his staff a stick in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Five smooth stones. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Little G's. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field demonic then David said to the Philistine you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head 
And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose and a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharon as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. So he took his armor as a souvenir. He took that head of Goliath and some say that's he took it to, to Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus was eventually crucified. That's not in the Bible, but I believe it. Listen, this is all a picture, type and shadow of Jesus and Satan, like I said before. You know, David didn't need to know Goliath's strength. You know why? He already knew God's. This is the confidence the Lord wants us to have in him against the giants we face in this life. Nothing you're facing today is stronger than God. Nothing ever will be. There's no indication in, in all of those scriptures or anywhere in the Bible that David had any fear or doubt that God would deliver him from that giant. He didn't even hesitate. When you're not relying on your own strength and you have confidence in God, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you and make you bold as a lion. That's the kind of peace and the kind of power that we have as our inheritance in Christ. If you'll just put your total trust in God. There's a relationship there. Last week we talked about guarding our heart above all else. Because it... Whatever's in your heart is going to direct your entire life. So we don't want hatred or bitterness or doubt or fears or hurts to remain there. 
We don't want to live in the rearview mirror. Not that there's not a time for grieving. Of course there is. But all that stuff, we want to keep our hearts free of that and cast those cares on the Lord who will comfort us and heal us everywhere we hurt. Well, thinking faith thoughts and speaking faith words will lead your heart out of defeat and into victory. It sounds very simple, but it's something that has to be practiced so you get used to it, get into the habit of doing it, and you will see harvest of all the good things that you speak and think if you just get in agreement with the provision and promises of God. We're in covenant with Him. And He will not break His word or His promise. And it's not contingent now like in the old covenant in, in the, under the law. It's not contingent upon our behavior. I said it's not contingent upon our behavior. Believe in your heart. Say it with your mouth. That's the principle of faith. That's how you got saved. You can have what you say. And it goes both ways. David's brothers, they were bigger than him. They were stronger than him. They were older than him. But they didn't esteem or value God's covenant with their people the way that David did. David made a lot of mistakes in his life and it cost him dearly. It cost his whole family. But God loved David because David loved him. Yeah. His brothers were jealous and they were negative. They didn't credit God with every good and powerful victory that they had ever seen like David did. They didn't become king either like David did. <laughs> to the dismay of his own father, Jesse, and all his brothers, and really shocked Samuel, the prophet. But God, man looks on the outer appearance, God looks on the heart, doesn't he, Pilar? His, his brothers were the, they were members of the, the yeah buts and the neverthelessers team. <laughs> Instead of the trust God and faith team.
David never did think that he was tougher than this 10-foot giant in the natural. He just knew that God would honor his covenant and use him to protect his people and to bring honor to his name because God is faithful. We have a better covenant with better promises than David and the Israelites did. That's what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, chapter 8, verse 6. The Bible is a legal document. I don't understand why every lawyer in the world isn't saved, if they understood that. You know why? Because they teach them now in law school that... The Constitution should evolve and that contracts are made to be broken and show them how to do it. <laughs> you see? God's not that way. God's not that way. This is a legal document. And it's sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's your believing and confessing it that makes it real in your life. Come on now. God's trying to bring y'all to another level. I'm telling you that right now. And don't ever doubt that with every level there's another devil. But I don't care if he is ten foot tall. He's nothing to God. Paul said in 2 Timothy, um, the first chapter, the 12th verse, he says, even though I suffer as I do, he was in chains in prison at the time. This was toward the end of his life. Even though I suffer as I do, I, I'm not ashamed, he said, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. That day is the day that he sees him face to face. What had he entrusted to him? Everything. Everything. His body, his soul, and his spirit. And he had great confidence in the Lord. He said, I know whom, not what, I have believed. Not a doctrine, a theology, not religion, which is can't save anyone. A person, a savior, Jesus, God. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Remember my friend too, I told you I met at Best Buy, had that tattooed after I already called him out for knowing the Lord. Faith changes hope into reality, doesn't it? 
We act in faith. It's, faith is not a work. I saw someone very discouraged or had been church hurt, they call it, talking about it. And I just wanted to, when I meet him, I'm going to go talk to him. And no, I don't know. He's a big shot now, but I can help this man if he would listen, you know. A lot of people have been church hurt. But the one thing he said right was that what had helped him and how God had helped to heal him is it's, it's always wrong to put the, 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 the face of the, the pastor or the church hypocrite on, that hurts you on God. You see? And he was right about that. Well, the problem was, see, see, he wasn't in a he wasn't in a place that just taught uh, the sovereignty of God to to a fault like some places do, which say God doesn't work miracles anymore, and you can throw your prayer out there, but you just don't know what's going to happen, and and divine healing is of the devil, and sickness and and death and all that are of God and, and all those lies, you see. He wasn't really of one of those. He was in a faith church. The problem was it was the other end of the spectrum. They made faith into a work. It's not. And when he didn't get what he was praying for, they put the blame on him because he hadn't conjured up enough faith. That's making faith into a work. And you've missed it, if that's the case. And that's what hurt him. And so you know what it did? It pushed him back into the sovereignty of God camp. Because it didn't make him feel so condemned that he couldn't conjure up enough faith. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be a blessing and an honor and a privilege to know that, hey, no matter if I get what I'm praying for or not, no matter if there's something in my faith that's not pure or strong enough, or if it's something that the devil is doing because he's very active still in this world or whatever, God still loves me. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Yeah. It wasn't his best for me. He's got even better for me than what he got, but he still got me the best that I could accept or the best that he could get to me in the situation and circumstances that I was in. Yeah. And it changed nothing about how God sees me or feels for me. Just because he had more for me and I didn't get it all, I shouldn't feel condemned by that. We're in a war here. Second Timothy. I just want to, faith is not something you have to do. Faith is not something you have to do. we got to get that clear. The grace of God has, Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. By faith though, Faith does cause us to act. 
Mm -hmm. Faith is not an act. Faith will cause you to act. There's a huge difference. So we act in faith to lay hold of the desires of hope and bring them into this realm of reality that we are living in temporarily. This world, this life, like I said last week, these bodies, these finances. David, as our example today, David used his godly imagination, which is what we produce Christian hope, a confident expectation of good from God, you see? He uses godly imagination to see Goliath slain by his own hand. He saw it. He saw it. But not by his own talent or ability. But by the strength and the favor of God in and through him. He put faith to work and he didn't let it rest until it accomplished everything that he had set out to do. He didn't let fear and doubt or the yeah butters or the neverthelessers or the haters get in the way of what would glorify God. What God had put in his heart to do. And he found that in his weakness... God was strong. If God tells you to charge hell with a water pistol, well, fill her up. But that hope is important because hope is future tense. God is a God of today and God is a God of a bright, beautiful future. Future tense. Hope, faith is always now or active, you see? So faith is now reaching out toward the hope of the future. It gives our faith a target. Right? Faith gives our... Hope a target, so don't let it rest until it retrieves the dream, the vision, that godly hope inside of you. The Holy Spirit is going to speak to you through dreams and, and visions and, and put desires in your heart, godly desires. And if it's God, it's always going to be directing you in peace and righteousness and joy, right? Your faith is not only is it not a work or an action, it, although it produces actions, your faith is a servant to you. Your faith is a worker, a character trait of the Holy Spirit a fruit, an abiding fruit of the Spirit in you, given to you as fruit from the Spirit of God. 
cultivated, exercised, and strengthened by, by the Word of God. And, and, and it reaches out and it lays hold of those things hoped for. The godly calling, the dream, the vision, the goals placed in your heart by God. You ask, well, what, 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 can, I, what can I lay hold of? I mean, you know, truthfully, by, according to our, this beautiful covenant, what can I lay hold of? Whatever Jesus paid for by his redeeming blood on Calvary. And there's just three real categories, and you can it's easy, makes it easy to remember. But he redeemed you from poverty, he redeemed you from sickness, and he redeemed you from spiritual death. So what do you get? Prosperity, health, and eternal life. And everything that falls into those categories in all its various forms. Those are ours. They are. He delights in the prosperity of his servant. He delights when you do well in every way. Third John 2, beloved, I wish that then thou mayest prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. He delights in the prosperity of his servant. Which, which, which prompts a question. Are you a servant? Or a son? Or a servant son? How, how do you think the prodigal son was after he received the love and embrace of his father, after he was, was welcomed home in such a magnificent way after doing so wrong? I'm sure that he served his father in every way and, and harder even still than the hired hands did that he was hoping to become. But not out of debt anymore. But out of gratitude and love. You see, we don't live a life of good deeds to earn a place in the kingdom of God. We are children of God. Maddie doesn't have to earn a place in her mama's house. Pilar doesn't have to earn a, a place in Jill's house. We're children of God. Jesus went to prepare a mansion for you. It's not going to come with a mortgage. We serve and live 
a life pleasing to God out of gratitude for what he has done for us. So, how do I fight the good fight of faith? I love the Lord. I'm thankful for what he's done for me. I hate the devil for what he's done to everyone. And now, how do I fight the good fight of faith that Paul called Timothy to? And said that he had fought. Well, by choosing to continually respond positively to all that Jesus has provided by grace. Your faith is just your positive response to the grace of God. Running from sin and running after God. His righteousness, His peace, His joy in the Holy Ghost. Laying hands on all that He has provided for you to be and to do all that He's created you to be and to do. You've been, you're a be to do, not a do to be. Yeah. You've been created righteous and holy and you are a child of God because you put your trust in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for you. His death, His burial, His resurrection, His enthronement. The whole thing. He's alive. And he's coming soon. Amen. Philippians 4. I'll just read that. And I think I'll finish here today. Because. There's a call to action. And I think I'll start on that next week. Based on. All these wonderful things. Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Starting in the 6th verse. four eight is the scripture that my wife stood on. To love me again. <laughs> for <laughs> I don't know how long <laughs> no it did help her though and she shares it with everyone now Philippians 4 chapter, starting in the 6th verse do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard your heart and mind. Isn't that wonderful? We're called to a life of love and forgiveness. You know, we don't want to hold on to poison. We don't want to drink poison, think it'll kill the other person. <laughs> And remember, doubt and fear are of the devil. He's a death dealer. And we don't want any of that stuff. 
the eighth verse. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and I'm reading the English Standard Version, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If you think you can't control your thoughts, you can. God said so. And not only that, but he, he tells you what to think on instead of the ugly stuff that the devil has done. Don't give him any more thought than is necessary. Because it won't build you up. It'll bring you down. Think on good things. You know, there's always something good, even in the terrible trials and tribulations of our lives, there are other, there's always something good. Yeah. And when you're the one that points that out, when you're the one that is hurting the most, you know that's a testimony to unbelievers that like no other. And it will help you. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Father, thank you for this day and for your word. Thank you for the beauty and simplicity of your word. Thank you for faith. Thank you for the grace that we use our faith to obtain. Actually, it's not even our faith. It's yours, Jesus. You said that and the word said that the life that we now live, we live by faith of Christ. So thank you, Lord, for your faith in us. Help us to draw from that well and not from the world. Help us to draw from your love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, knowing that they are abiding fruit within us, available all the time. Thank you that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That you are the comforter. You are the prince of peace. You are love. And we thank you that you love us so much and that you've written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. Help us, Lord. Help all those who are hurting. Comfort them. Help them and heal them everywhere they hurt. Empower them by your promises. Remind them to speak your, your promises over their life, over their situations and circumstances. To think faith thoughts and to speak faith words. And it will edify them. It will help their situation. It will help them in every way. And it will help everybody around them who's watching them. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.